Father in heaven, as we take a few minutes here to open your words, speak to us. Give us insight and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin with a text, a text that describes why we are considering the topic we're going to consider today, 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Did you know that the Holy Spirit bestows upon every believer certain gifts from Jesus? Do you know what these gifts are for? According to Paul, it's important that when it comes to gifts, we're not uninformed. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So, so the gifts look different. There's different gifts, different services, different workings, but all these different things come from the same Spirit, from the same Lord, from the same God working in us. So today we're back to our focus on frames. And I want to thank Jonathan Henderson for being with us last Sabbath. I was sorry I missed his presentations, but very thankful to Pastor Bernie for the hard work he does each year to put Occupy together for us, and he did a good job again this year. But back to frames. This is our third summer for this theme. We're working our way through the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we have picked the name frames for the series because this is what the fundamental beliefs, when properly used, must be for us. Our beliefs are not an end in themselves, as if to suggest that if we were to somehow finally, perfectly express the fullness of faith in a propositional form, that at that point we would have reached our destination. Doctrine and dogma can point the way, but they are not the way. Institutionally established fundamentals can lead to the truth, but they are not the truth. Solid teaching about life can enable better living, but teachings are not the life, which is to say the 28 fundamentals are not the way, the truth, and the life, but they sure do frame him well. You see, the frames or the doctrines are servants of a single purpose, to reveal to us Jesus, the one who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. The frames are very important, for without them the picture of Jesus can become skewed and strange, but we don't put our faith in the fundamentals, for they shift and modify as we learn and grow. We put our faith in Jesus the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus must be the picture in the frame. And it is in this awareness that we engage with the frame for today entitled Spiritual Gifts and Ministries. So if you were to right now go to the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventist website, you'd see a heading up there that said Beliefs. You'd click on that 
and you would be taken to a page that would summarize the beliefs of the church. If you wanted more detail, you'd go to the side and you'd see a link to a PDF entitled 28 Fundamental Beliefs. After you got there, if you went down to number 17, here are the words you would read. Number 17, spiritual gifts and ministries. God bestows upon all members of his church in every age spiritual gifts that each member is to employ in loving ministry for the common good of the church and of humanity, given by the agency of the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each member as he wills, the gifts provide all abilities and ministries needed by the church to fulfill its divinely ordained functions." According to the scriptures, these gifts include such ministries as faith, healing, prophecy, proclamation, teaching, administration, reconciliation, compassion, and self-sacrificing service and charity for the help and encouragement of people. Some members are called of God and endowed by the Spirit for functions recognized by the church in pastoral, evangelistic, and teaching ministries particularly needed to equip the members for service to build up the church to spiritual maturity and to foster unity of the faith and knowledge of God. When members employ these spiritual gifts as faithful stewards of God's varied grace, the church is protected from the destructive influence of false doctrine, grows with a growth that is from God, and is built up in faith and love. So again, like two weeks ago, this is not a short statement, but I believe it is a very good one and makes several very important points that we must understand if we are to avoid what Paul wants us to avoid, being uninformed regarding the gifts of the Spirit. The first point this statement makes quite clearly is who receives the gifts and what their purpose is. I take you back to the first sentence of the statement. God bestows upon all members of His church in every age spiritual gifts that each member is to employ in loving ministry for the common good of the church and of humanity. So where does this idea come from that everyone has a spiritual gift? Well, one of the places is Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, that last part that Paul mentions there is actually a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18. And actually, kind of a curious use of that particular quote, but... But that's Paul, I guess. Sometimes I'm with Peter when it comes to Paul. Not always exactly sure what he meant by that, but sounded right. But the point Paul is making is that to each one of us, which ones of us? To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, this is an important point because usually when we talk about grace, we have a tendency to fall into a very narrow and somewhat self-centered salvation focus. 
as in grace is what I receive from God in order to be saved. And while I don't dispute this fact, for indeed, by grace you have been saved through faith, I don't dispute that. However, let me remind you, there is a grace that comes to save you, and then there is the grace that comes as the invitation of Jesus to not just be saved, but to become a fully functional citizen of the kingdom of God, complete with all the privileges and all the responsibilities of this most high of all callings. And there's a very important point to understand here, a point that's going to be clearer as we look at another text later on, but here it is. If a portion of the grace that God is sending into the world is a grace that comes to me in the form of a calling to Christian service in the world, but then I fail to serve according to my calling, then that portion of the grace of God which enables me to serve will not in fact be experienced in the world if I in fact fail to engage in the service to which I'm called. This means that if I don't serve according to God's unique calling and the specific grace and gift given to me, then I am responsible by my inactivity for blocking a portion of the grace that God intended to send into the world. Well, I don't think we want to do that, do we? But back to the point we're considering. God bestows upon all members of His church in every age, spiritual gifts that each member is to employ in loving ministry for the common good of the church and of humanity. So I gave you a passage from Ephesians 4 that speaks of how a grace-enabled gift of service is given to us all. Here's another text that ties the idea to the purpose of the service. It comes shortly after the verse we started with. It's Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. This is verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. Not for your own special little enjoyment, but for the common good. Again, we see how the gifts are given to each one, and now we have added language that explains the purpose. It's for the common good. All this is well captured, I believe, in that first sentence of this frame. And then this leads directly to the sen second sentence of frame number 17. These are the words we read. Given by the agency of the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each member as he wills, the gifts provide all abilities and ministries needed by the church to fulfill its divinely ordained functions. The first part of this comes from Ephesians 4. But where does this second idea come? That these gifts, when properly used by us, will provide all of the abilities and ministries needed by the church for it to accomplish its purpose. Where do we get that idea? Well, in order to help us understand this, Paul resorted to a metaphor, the idea of the church as the body of Christ. And just like Jesus needed every portion of his body working properly in order to accomplish his purpose, so also the church needs every portion of its body working properly if it's going to accomplish its purpose. 
1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, catch this, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, Paul goes on with this point about how each part matters, and no part can dismiss or denigrate the role of another part. And then he sums it all up with this in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And it is at this point where English lets us down. For you see, in English, the English we use anyway, there's no difference between the plural second person personal pronoun and the singular second person personal pronoun pronoun. You see, we use the word you for both of those. And you could get confused by this, thinking that the you at the beginning and that the you at the end are both talking about that singular sense. You see, it's because of this weakness in the language that we invent words like y'all or youns or use guys, depending on where you come from, because we don't have that plural form. Greek doesn't have that problem. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. But what you need to understand is that first you in Greek is plural. It means all y'all. <laughs> now this is a fact that the King James can actually help us with a bit because English actually used to have something like this, and then it came to America and everything fell apart. But, but 1 Corinthians 12, 27, King James says, now ye are the body of Christ. So ye used to mean all y'all. It's a little shorter, but I think all y'all works, so that's good. And you is individual. So what is being said here is very profound. All of us are the body of Christ, and each of us is a part of it. Very profound, isn't it? The point is this. We together make up the body of Christ, and each one of us individually, compared to the whole, is a small but critical piece. And we have a tendency. We get, we get the gifts out of whack. The notion, because I come up here and talk each week, is to suggest somehow I have a bigger part of the body of Christ. I don't. I'm just doing what God enabled me to do. Just like you 
need to do what God enabled you to do. If everybody did what I did, that'd be a real mess. We'd be here all day. This happens whenever there's a pastor's meeting. We all get together and everybody wants to be in charge. It's, it's, it's a hard setting. But God gives us all a peace. This truth then reveals just what kind of a picture of Jesus we're seeing today in this frame. This isn't a landscape picture like we saw a couple weeks ago where there's a lot of different pictures that paint a bigger picture. This is, this is a portrait of Jesus, but it's a very special kind of portrait. It's a portrait known as a mosaic. You know what a mosaic is? So here's a picture of Jesus. You, you can see Jesus there. But if you get closer, and you get closer, and you get closer, it's us. Together, we make a picture of Jesus. He's not revealed in fullness in any one of us, but all of us together makes a beautiful picture of Jesus. So here's the point. We have to be together to make the picture of Jesus. And we all have to participate for the picture to make sense. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 isn't saying that each of us is a self-contained, self-sufficient body of Christ. It is saying that together, in all our quirkiness and in all our normalness, in all our tallness and in all our shortness, in all our blackishness and brownishness and reddishness and whitishness or whatever ishnesses we can think of, together we make up a mosaic picture of Jesus that is beautiful. Romans 12, verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You thought you were a free agent here, didn't you? No. I belong to you, and you belong to me. And we are responsible to each other within the body of Christ. It's not just pick and choose what I want. It's us together. It's a huge point. We aren't just all separate cogs in a giant machine. Instead, together we form one body. And each of us belongs to the others. On my body, it's my hand and my foot, not just any old hand and any old foot, they belong together on my body, and my hand and my foot are responsible to each other. Give an example. They did it just this morning. My hands put a sock on my foot. But if my feet had not walked my hands to the dresser, they'd have put no sock on my foot. That's how it works. Are my hands better than my feet? Are my feet better than my hands? No, it's all a part of the whole. That's how it is in the church. Now, two additional points here. First, none of us who profess faith in the Lord and who honestly demonstrate a desire to be a part of the body, this body of Christ, 
None of us who do those things, faith in the Lord and, and demonstrate a desire to be a part of the whole, none can be excluded. We don't exclude anybody who believes in the Lord Jesus and demonstrates a desire to be a part of this place. Everybody can be a part. So that's the inclusion part. But then there's a second part. None of us can withhold from the rest of the body what God has called us to do or else that picture of Jesus is going to be incomplete. If the only one in the church that shows up in the picture of Jesus is me, he might end up with just a mouth and nothing else. We don't want that. We want the whole thing. We are all different and all can do different things. And that is exactly how God wants us to be. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And so this brings us back to the second sentence of this fundamental belief. Given by the agency of the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each member as he wills, the gifts provide all abilities and ministries needed by the church to fulfill its divinely ordained functions. God is fair and will never require of us anything he has not gifted and enabled us to do. However, he also expects from us everything he has gifted and enabled us to do. And if we as a community are underperforming, it's not God's fault. It's that we haven't all given ourselves to accomplish His kingdom purpose. So let's summarize what we know. Jesus has given spiritual gifts to everyone through the Holy Spirit. The gifts are given according to the will of God, and what we are given is not entirely up to us. In fact, it may not be up to us at all. Now, I say not entirely because we, we practice at the things that God enables us to do and we can get better at them, but the truth is we don't pick. God picks. But here's what's cool about that. You are exactly who God wanted you to be. And when you use the gift he's given you, you're doing exactly what he wanted you to do. We are all to use our gifts as an expression of the grace of God to the world. By using our gifts, we fulfill our divinely ordained role in the body of Christ, the church. Every one of us has a divinely ordained role in the body of Christ. And all the roles matter. And then when we all do our part, the work of the church gets done, and then what really matters happens. The kingdom of God advances. So you say, wonderful. Tell me about these gifts. Well, I'd be glad to do so. There is no single place in Scripture where all the possible gifts are spelled out. But they're given in several places. For example, 
Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So here's some of the gifts. Prophecy, service, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. To one there is given the spirit of a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Then we have Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now this isn't an exhaustive list, but it gives you a taste. There's a mention in the Old Testament of Bezalel and Aholiab, two guys from Exodus 31, men upon whom the Lord through the Spirit bestowed artistic ability so that they could create and decorate the walls and the furniture inside the temple. Gifts of the Spirit. Maybe you never thought being able to build something really cool was a gift of the Spirit. It is. Now there's a time and a place for detailing spiritual gifts and for discovery but that's not my primary purpose today. Instead today, I want you to go home with very clear knowledge of three things. First, you, and I mean that singular you, you, every one of you have been given spiritual enabling, have been given spiritual gifts that are given to you by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Every single one of you. Second, these gifts are given as an act of God bestowing grace to the world. And third, in order for the grace God has given you to be released in the world, you must use your gift for the sake of his kingdom. And as proof of that final point, let me read you one more text. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, you are a steward of a portion of the grace that God is trying to release into the world. And if you do not find your place of service and minister according to the grace you've received, 
your face is going to be missing from the mosaic of Jesus. And a piece of the grace that God longs to bestow upon the world will never reach those who desperately need that grace. Lord, let your grace be poured out on the world. Church, I poured it upon you. Take it to the world. So how are we supposed to use our gifts? 1 Peter 4, verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, catch this, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's what's amazing about this. There it is. After the work is done, the praise goes to God through Jesus Christ. After the frame is built, the picture is Jesus. So some questions come to my mind as we close. What has God gifted you to do? Are you doing it for His glory? Are we together as the body of Christ doing all that He is calling us to do? And if not, why not? Is your face missing from the mosaic picture of Jesus? The Lord has given us every gift and every grace we need to accomplish all He is calling us to accomplish in our day. But we will all have to work together if we're going to get it done. 1 Corinthians 12.1, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So now that you are informed, what will be your next step? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have poured out your Spirit on every person in this place and that you have given each of us the ability to make a difference for your kingdom and to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us all to find out what our gifts are and to find the place where we can use those gifts that your kingdom will advance. In Jesus' name, amen.